Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name is Ryan, and I'm on the ministry team here at Journey, and it's my honor to, to host today with Pastor Christian. Happy New Year uh, to our listeners. We're recording actually after church on Sunday, so it's the second day of the year. Um, this Sunday was the first one of 2022. Pastor Christian preached a, a special New Year's message, and it was entitled, In Position and waiting. I want to welcome you. If you're kicking off the year and you decided to start listening to podcasts, maybe this is your first one. We're we're glad you have found us. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you'll share it with some with some friends, with some neighbors, with someone you want to help activate their faith. So, Pastor Christian, the last two weeks of 2022, 2021 it was, and you're smiling because we're on camera today. You kind of got this little smirk on your face. Well, so yeah, so you can't you can't hide stuff when you're when you're also video recording. This is true. So I've got a split screen, and I've got the Chiefs game. Okay, yeah, and I've got little, the and I've got the podcast. Got a little smirk going on as, there. Like what as am I we're missing? Going. And I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna lock in. Like when yeah. it's time for me to lock in, I'll lock in okay. and answer the questions. But if yeah, if I don't appear to be listening to everything you're saying, watching the Chiefs and the Bengals on the side that's, as that's, well at the same time. That's perfect. Yeah, it's a it's um. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a good mental experiment to see how much I can focus on scripture. <laughs> we'll see. I do and other things have that at the going same time. on over here because yeah. I don't think I could focus. Well, um, keep me posted. Uh, the last <laughs> seven two nothing weeks. chiefs right now oh. as we speak. Okay. How about that? Yes. Well, the last two weeks of 2021, we had eight worship services and an online, uh, worship experience. Uh, nearly 300 people, uh, indicated, let us know that they had made spiritual decisions over that time. How, how did that impact you to see that kind of spiritual response? Oh, differently probably than it, than it impacts most. My mind immediately goes to Matthew chapter 13. I know that when the sower sows seed or the seed of the gospels sown, that some lands on the path, uh, and it's immediately stolen, that some lands on the rocky soil and just can't ever really take root, that some gets choked out by the worries of life and that some hits fertile soil and, and produces a crop 30, 60, 90 times what was sown. So for me, like as I'm preaching and teaching, I, I really do trust God. So God says that if Jesus is lifted up, he'll draw people to himself. So I, I just anticipate that people are going to make spiritual decisions. Scripture also says that like if you sow the seed of the gospel, like it does the work of the gospel. So I anticipate that people are going to make spiritual decisions because the news is too good not to. Um, I also know the minute people are praying that Satan is working and I know he's he's trying to take the seed of the gospel that was sown and put it on a patch of their heart that's still hard uh, or he's trying to put it in a place in their life that's a little shallow or he's going to try to put it in a place in, in life where there's going to be some worry and anxiety that choke it out. So I'm always praying that that, that that first shovel full of dirt gets turned over. I think that's why I'm um, so insistent on people who brought their friends taking their car to the booth, getting their shirt, getting their resource bag for them. Um, like you, you are a protector of the seed that God has planted when you bring someone who makes a spiritual decision and you immediately grab a shovel or a pick or an axe or a hoe and start trying to figure out how to till that soil up a little bit. So I think for me, it's different. I think there's always an expectation and an anticipation 
that the gospel is good news and it does the work that God wants it to. I'm just, I'm just enough aware behind the scenes of what's happening spiritually. I'm not distracted, but I'm, I'm just really focused on trying to figure out how, how we and our people can do a really good job of turning over that first blade of soil to get that seed off the path, um, and, and to get it below the, the rocks, um, and maybe even to get it, get it in a clean area where it doesn't, it doesn't have weeds. But at the same time, I also know that everyone who is truly repented, everyone elected, for salvation. I know the Holy Spirit has sealed them in an instant. And whether they turn in a card, whether they ever come back to journey, uh, I know those who God calls and saves. Um, I know the Holy Spirit will will do the work that he wants to do. I just believe the Holy Spirit has called us to develop a process that helps. Uh, so I'm, I'm always, you know, he- headed towards that finish line. I anticipate decisions. I pray for really good follow-up. Yeah, and our team has uh, been busy following up with folks, and of course we will and have invited those folks to our best day ever party, which will be at the end of this month, uh, an opportunity to celebrate that decision and, and help them take their, their spiritual next steps. So Ryan Lefevre, the Royals broadcaster, of course, uh, did a tremendous job hosting our online church experience on December 26th. Uh, in fact, um, as we were texting a little bit, I said, man, you did so good. You need to host the podcast. Uh, and he agreed to it. So uh, sometime here in the next few months, uh, as uh, I'm either unavailable or we'll just have him uh, come in for some professional person to host <laughs> this podcast, he's agreed to do so. So I'm, uh, I, that'll be a real treat for, for our listeners. As we dive into the message, you begin talking about David uh, in Second Samuel. And in point one, you talk about Jerusalem and how there's not been much found about David in this archaeological area. You right. and I have been there since we've been to that dig site. Um, can you describe uh, what's there and, and how that site is developing? Yeah, so the city of David, which sits below modern-day Jerusalem, mm-hmm. so it sits south of modern-day Jerusalem. And, and I mean, right, like, Ryan, it's an ancient city. Again, David did not build the city of David. David conquered a a Jebusite kingdom from like late bronze or age or like earlier. Um, so he conquered a place that had already been built and was old and kind of took it over. Um, the cool thing about it right now is they continue to uncover more and more and more um, Judean Jewish artifacts. So I, I think one of the coolest artifacts they have found in the modern day city of David is they have found um, the seals of of the names of very specific people um, who were scribes in the book of Jeremiah, very specifically the people who were coming against Jeremiah, the scribes who worked for the kings. They have found the scribes' room, and they've begun to uncover seals that say, like, name of person, son of person, like the exact order, the exact place, exact groupings of people that are now in the Israeli Museum, which are just um, unbelievable. The Pool of Siloam, um, which was around in the time of Jesus. They have uncovered um, en- enough of it to know where it is. Um, and the Hezekiah's tunnel kind of dumps out. That's all in the city of David that they're uncovering. But they're starting to uncover now streets. Uh, they're starting to uncover potential palaces uh, from the time of David and Solomon that would be there. This probably would have would have been a city that was left behind a little bit in Solomon's day and in Solomon's building. And then when Hezekiah came along, which was several hundred years later, but Hezekiah built the broad wall. So if you and I can you and I can picture the city of David. Um, if you've ever seen the Temple Mount, um, 
like it, it, as you're listening, if you've seen the Temple Mount, if you go directly south of the Temple Mount and have a little small state of California, that's what the city of David looked like. It was shaped very much like the city, like the state of California, and it just kind of extended a little south and a little east into the Kidron Valley. Um, that was built upon over and over and over, not by just the Israelite kingdoms, but as the kingdom of Judah grew up, Hezekiah kind of moved a lot of Israel up the hill. So the broad wall that you can still see parts of today, when northern Israel was conquered in 722 and southern Israel was still kind of flourishing, a lot of refugees from northern Israel came down to live in Jerusalem, but they could not live inside the walled city because there was no room. So when Assyria came to basically besiege Jerusalem, Hezekiah built a whole new city wall, which was called the broad wall on the western hill of Jerusalem. That is kind of where new Jerusalem is today. So eventually the Jerusalem of Jesus day extended west where Hezekiah had built, not south where David had built. So it just kind of covered over generation after generation after generation after generation. It's a disputed dig site because it's so close to the Temple Mount and it is right in between Palestinian controlled West Bank and Israeli controlled Jerusalem. And the Temple Mount, of course, is controlled uh, by Jordan. So neither, neither one of them can have access to it because, because they are rightly afraid that archaeology will reveal ownership and that if they get underneath the Temple Mount, which the city of David butts right up against the southern steps of the Temple Mount, that they're going to find either thousand-year-old Jewish artifacts, so the Jews will say, always ours, or 1,400-year-old um, Arab artifacts, so that the Muslims can say, always ours. Uh, of course, our, both our biblical history and modern-day archaeology uh, place everything in that region in the time of the Old Testament, in the time of Jesus, I think I think we know and believe and believe it would be revealed to be revealed uh, to to be belonging to um, to the Jews. But just the geopolitical nature makes it makes it a difficult thing. But the more they uncover in the city of David, the more they just keep proving the Jews are trying to prove land ownership from the Old Testament. What they keep uncovering is Jesus ownership of the New Testament. Because the Romans built so well. The Romans minted coins so well. The Romans marked stuff so well that almost everything they're finding is circa, you know, basically 2,000 years old. It all goes back to the Roman period, which is when Jesus did all his ministry. So, you know, they're not really digging trying to prove the Bible. They're digging trying to prove land rights. But what they keep proving is, is the Bible. And like the seals of Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, that's in the Israeli museum, the seals of the scribes in the book of Jeremiah, Hezekiah's tunnel and the inscription on the wall, all that city of David, which was Jebusite kingdom. Uh, it was probably never called city of David during David's time, but he, eventually it was. It was, his, it was his place, his kingdom, and they're finding more and more of it today. Every time we go, there's more of it uncovered because of our long COVID lapse. I can't wait to go back and see, see what they have now. It's an incredible place. I was talking to my folks this weekend who went to Israel in 1997. Oh, geez. Probably most of that was not even uncovered then. No, I, I said yep. you, you have to go back. Have to. Because it is unbelievable now. Have to. You, you spend time talking about three major ships, uh, shifts from John Mark Homer's book, um, Live No Lies, I think is what it's called. Yep. Uh, and this is a, an eye-opening part of your message. 
obviously something for Christians to be aware of. Can you unpack these three again for the audience since, man, they're just so important? Yeah, so he just talked about the the things that Christians have to be aware of if they're going to win spiritually. So three shifts right now going on in American Christianity. One, a shift from majority culture to minority culture, very specifically a cognitive minority, which means Christians think, believe, and value a different set of things cognitively than the host culture that we live in, which is usually devi- uh, which is usually um, defined by mainstream media. So you would you would look at our country and say Christians live, have a different worldview, believe in, and value way different things than our host culture. If our host culture is is defined by the mainstream media, the messaging coming out over and over and over on on digital means. Um, the second one is Christianity moving from a place of honor to a place of shame. It used to be that even people who weren't Jesus followers really respected people who had a Judeo-Christian ethic. It was a thing of honor. Now it's the now it's the exact opposite. Um, when people find out that you are a follower of Jesus and they find out you're an Orthodox Bible-believing follower of Jesus, they almost try to put you in a place of shame rather than raise you to a place of honor. And uh, America's moving from a place of widespread tolerance of Judeo-Christian ethics to rising hostility of Judeo-Christian ethics, meaning Christians are not just looked at as intolerant grandmas and Boy Scouts, you know, they're looked at as, as a threat. Um, not, hey, your, your beliefs aren't nice, but your beliefs aren't safe. That's where Christianity is shifting to. And if we don't if we don't learn to understand that, if we don't learn to grasp that, if we don't learn to thrive in the midst of that, uh, we're going to be like we're we're going to be set back a little bit, right? Jesus said he's going to build the church, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. So we're not wor- we're not worried about Jesus' global, eternal kingdom. But there are some people who believe that to rescue the church. We got to take back the White House to rescue the church. We got to take back the State House to rescue the church. We have to have a certain type of government to rescue the church. We have to have a certain curriculum taught in public schools. And we have people looking for secular state answers for very real spiritual realities. And one, we need to realize that these spiritual realities are getting us closer to the end, which is a good thing. They're getting us close, closer to the finish line. The, the author of Hebrews describes our Christian walk as a race of faith. These shifts in American culture mean that we're closer to the finish line. Our family uh, vacationed in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, growing up in southern Ohio for 17, 18 years. Uh, and we, we knew on the long 11, 11 hour car ride from southern Ohio um, to Myrtle Beach, North Carolina, we, we knew when you began to see palm trees, and when you began to see all the stores that were selling the saltwater taffy and all the beach towels, we knew we were getting closer. And that was a good thing. Christians in America need to look at the rising hostility, need to look at the shame, need to look at the minority culture. Then they need to go read their Bibles and they need to say, hey, we're getting closer. And that's a good thing. We have to learn to adjust to it. We have to learn to do ministry. We have to learn to battle. We have to learn to protect the next generation and get them ready to battle but we need to realize this is a this means we're closer to the end and this is a this is a good thing. And we need to quit looking for the state to bail us out and we need to look to what the scriptures say we do once we transition to this time of the end. And I think if we do that we can have massive success as a spiritual stronghold as people and as a church in our community. 
It's a great truth, and you're right. We we should be looking to it. I, I believe the end of the book says, "Come, Lord Jesus." Yeah, Maranatha. Uh, the second point was David's first battle in the city uh, was the final battle for home. <clears throat> and you you talk about God's direction. Get in position. Get ready for God to move. Uh, we as a people often have trouble waiting on God to move, yeah. or or we have trouble getting ready. Right. And so, why are these two things, waiting and getting ready, so difficult and so important? I think a lot of times we're we're desperate. We are a needy, dependent people. And we think the answer will help us more than the waiting. But Scripture clearly says those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We, I mean, we, we just wrap our culture around our spiritual situation. Like, I love eating a Chick-fil-A. I hate waiting in line. There's never been a time where I've thought this weight will make this food better. Like I've never thought that. And that's how we think spiritually. Like God, I need something. I don't even see this weight is so inconvenient. But scripture says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So I think sometimes it's a, it's a dependence and it's an urgency. We need help and we need help now. And we don't know how to learn and rest and trust in the waiting. Another thing is, yeah, we, we, we sometimes want to go second. Um, we want God to take the step of faith. God is saying, um, hey, trust me, get your life here, and then I'll show up. And we're telling God, no, 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 God, trust me. You do this for me, and I promise I'll come through. Yeah. And God's saying, that is not the way that it works. Like, I don't trust you and then come through for you. You trust me, and then I come through for you. And I think just our, our mindset, our culture that says waiting is a bad thing, waiting never results in anything good, waiting never makes anything better, um, I think we apply that spiritually. And I think a lot of times we we refuse to live in faith, which is crazy. I mean, Hebrews, Hebrews says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Because those of us who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. We're living in a Christian generation right now who wants Christianity without faith. They don't want to have to believe the unseen. They, they need to see it and they need to see it now and they need to see it first or they're not going to budge an inch. And that never worked in scripture. It, it, it I mean, it just never worked in scripture. That's not the, really the way it worked. Even Thomas, who had to see before he believed, was chastised a little bit. He said, okay, like, good job. I tell you what, people who believe before they see are going to be a whole lot more blessed than you. So I, th- I think it's just it's just being willing to live in faith, which, Ryan, is, is really scary. Yeah. You know, I had several people tell me one of, my, one of their favorite parts of our Christmas services was at, at the invitation when I said, now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. However... It will take courage to do that because every time the supernatural meets the, the natural in the Christmas story, the, the first words from the supernatural, were, don't be afraid because living in the supernatural is scary. I think we have to be able to, to say that, to believe that and to live in that as, as long as it might take. But I think this Christian culture of, um, Hey God, trust me, do what I need you to do. And then I'll be there is just the exact opposite of Christianity. I love what Tim Keller said in his Proverbs devotion. He said, the thing 
that has turned the world upside down um, is man. Man is trying to figure out how to become God so they can be in control. When the story of the universe is God figured out how to become a man so he could be in control. Mm. Um, And when we understand God became a man and we trust that and we keep trusting that and we move first and just trust the promises of God. Um, I think we move forward in faith, but it's hard. It's hard and it takes guts. Yeah. It's great advice. And, you know, the more Christian authors I read and, and model Jesus, he slowed down. He spent time in prayer. Yeah. He waited on the Lord. You know, I think John um, Mark Comer's got a book similar to that, The Pace of His Life. Mm-hmm. So much, you're right. We the Relentless fast. Elimination, yeah. Yeah, we want hurry. fast, we want now, and, and that's, that's not the pace of Jesus and him working in our life. The third point of your message was David had to put God in the, uh, God in the center, God's way. One of the subpoints of this was until God begins to change you in a way that everybody notices, yeah. you've not spent enough time with him. Can you challenge our people for 2022 so that hopefully everyone notice they've spent time with Jesus? Yeah. So the easiest challenge, you know, so I'm always looking for tangible things. So the easiest way to challenge people to produce something that people can recognize is this analogy of fruit that Jesus gives us, right? You'll be known by your fruit, bear repentance or bear fruit in keeping with repentance, show people that your life has changed. So Galatians chapter five lists nine fruit of the spirit that you will have in your life. If you're a Jesus follower, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think the best way to begin to show more of the spirit in your life is take those nine, write them down on a piece of paper, make a list of dashes on the side of each of them on the left-hand side of the page, a list of dashes after each of them on the right-hand side of the page, you fill out one rank them one to nine nine is the one that i do the best everyone sees that one one is the one i do the least nobody sees that one rank them one to nine then ask someone close to you to give the exact same rank and the one the lower three that it seems like there's consensus on work on those every day work on those every day until people see man you were not very loving but i think you're becoming more you were not very gentle but I feel like you're becoming more gentle. You are not very faithful. We could never count on you. And now you're always the first one here and the last one to leave. Like those are things that Jesus said would show that the spirit of God lived in you. So if you want to, if you want to spend time with God until people recognize it, choose one of those areas, do a word study on it, get a study Bible, go to the back of the study Bible and find the word love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Look at all the scriptures that have those, write them on three by five cards, stick them in your pocket, read them every morning until those things are real in your life. And I promise you, people will say, I see that you're different. That that to me is always the easiest little grid of moving forward in a tangible way. You use Jesus standard of recognition, which is fruit. And then you use the very specific fruit by evaluating what you have and what you don't have and allowing someone else to make the same evaluation. Great practical tool. I- as always, I mentioned, you might want to listen to that again as you want to take some steps forward on changing some things in your life so that truly everybody notices. Yeah, and listen, if you don't have a study Bible, go to Google and Google Bible verses on joy. Yeah. My wife said, I am the least joyful person in the world, but I love Jesus, so I should be different. Google Bible verses on love, Bible verses on peace, Bible verses on kindness. Yeah. 
I love Jesus. Everyone thinks I'm a jerk. That's an area where you can instantly get better. Like, if you don't have a study Bible, just Google it. Write down those 10 verses. Carry them around in your pocket. Learn them. Become them. And I promise you people will see it. Yeah, great advice. Last question, Pastor Christian. As we've mentioned every week, as we look at the fourth discipleship track on leadership, right? We're trying to help people learn how take what they've learned what they've studied, and now help someone, now disciple someone else. What from this message would you want our audience to share with someone? I think the, th- the three postures of David's heart, he was angry at God, he was afraid of God, he was unwilling to follow God. I think, I think those three areas, or one of those three areas, exist in everyone's discipleship journey. And I think if, I, if I'm doing life on life with someone, one, I can probably see those areas. Like I see an area... God's been very clear and you've not been willing to follow him on whether it's your giving or your serving or your language or how you treat people or like whatever. Um, some areas where people are afraid to step out in faith. Like they know God has spoken a word of faith into their heart. They can't do it. They haven't done it. They're like, they're frozen in fear to challenge them on that point or to, or to, I mean, or to pick the scab for the sake of healing of you know what's going on in your life that's it's really made you angry at God that that we've got that we got a process not saying we got to get over it but we got to get through it uh, I think that that threefold area that part of the message where David's relationship went from being based on what God was doing for him to what God was doing in him he had to walk through those things that made him angry afraid and unwilling to follow Jesus and when he was able to do that he he became the king of Second Samuel six and Second Samuel seven, um, who who created what we call the pinnacle of that mountain. Those forty two chapters in Old Testament scripture from First Samuel sixteen to First Kings two, that was the story of David. Every every chapter before that, looking for someone like him. Every chapter after that, looking for someone even better than him. Um, it was David processing those things that allowed him to move to where he needed to be spiritually to be the leader that God wanted him to be for his people. Great message, and uh, appreciate you sharing insight as always. Pastor Christian, Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. The Chiefs are winning 21-7 to as we get to this point in the message. 21-7. Hopefully it's still a game when we get home and get to watch (laughs) it. Uh, Thank you for listening today. We're glad you have uh, found us. If this is something new for the new year you're deciding to do, if you have a question for us, uh, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. If you're here locally, we'd love to come and see you at one of our services. Grand opening next Sunday, January 9th. We hope to see you here, 845 or 1030. Uh, otherwise, we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.